Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. If you're Carson Wentz and what's left of your reputation was set on fire once again this week by your former GM and your head coach, you probably think, man, this sucks. That really did suck because pretty much every single week since January, there has been a report about how much the Colts hated Wentz. And it went back to even before the season started. Like, no sooner than he walked through that door, apparently there were already problems. But Wentz himself had to be thinking, after Chris Ballard and Frank Reich got off their chest, what they got off their chest, that that was finally the end of it. Good. Now we're done. Now we can all finally move on. Wentz had to be thinking that. Good. Finally, this is over. We're done. Finally. This is not over. This is not over. No, it is not. Just because Chris Ballard and Frank Reich spoke does not mean that this is over. This is not over. You know why? Team owner Jim Ursay had not had his chance. I mean, sure, that was there was that post of him next to his jet. But there was no way he was stopping with just that video of him by his private plane. Like, Wentz may have been lying unconscious in the street, but that does not mean that Ursay was going to call him an ambulance. No, what Ursay was going to do was stand over this guy and start stomping on his head. This is what Ursay had to say yesterday. Quote, I wish Carson well. I think he has a chance to go into a different environment and play great in Washington. It's just for us. It was something we had to move away from as a franchise. It was very obvious. End of quote. All right, so you're probably thinking, that's not so bad. That's not an owner stomping on an unconscious player's head. It's not bad. Like, wish the dude well. And you talk about moving on. Now, if he had stopped there, it would be fine. If he had stopped there. But, of course, he didn't because he's not ready to move on. Not when he's still pissed off about that season-ending loss to Jacksonville. Ursay starts that off with one of my favorite lines. Quote, no disrespect to Jacksonville, but I mean they're the worst team in the league. I mean, if you play well for the first quarter, you know, they're probably looking to go to the locker room. You know? End of quote. Now we're getting somewhere. That is an amazing thing for an owner to say. And as always, when you start a sentence with no disrespect, someone is about to get disrespected. And in this case, it's not just someone, it's an entire team. No disrespect to Jacksonville, but you are the worst team in the league. No disrespect, Jacksonville, but you suck and you're a bunch of quitters. That's essentially what he said. <laughs> it's what he said. Yeah, I'm sure the Jags don't feel disrespected at all. This guy says, you suck and you're quitters. Yeah, I bet they don't feel disrespected. I mean, sure, you called them the worst team in football. But he did preface it with no disrespect. No disrespect. So they're good, right? In fact, since he prefaced it with that, that damn near feels like a compliment. A Jags player, a Jags owner, a Jags perv. Oh, oh, by the way, happy hump day, perv. Hump day. Have you gotten your hump on yet today? That's devastating. If you haven't, you will. No disrespect. That whole no disrespect thing will never not be funny to me. No disrespect to the Jags, but they're the worst team in football. Is awesome. It's like telling somebody, hey, man, no disrespect, but you're like the worst teacher ever. No disrespect, though. Yeah, cool. None taken. None taken. Anyway, that's not what this is about. What this is about is Ursay still not being done. Seems to me when it comes to that choke job against Jacksonville, Ursay will never be done. At least I hope not. He then went on. And then said this, quote, I can't emphasize how shocked and disappointed I was. I don't have the words to describe the level of that letdown. I mean, I've never seen it in my life. End of quote. 
I want to be so clear about this. No one better. No one better than my dude, Jim Ursay. Every other team and every other owner in that situation is saying, look, we're focused on 2022. We are looking to the future. We are not here to talk about what happened in the past. No, no, no. Yesterday was yep, yep, yep. Today it's nope, nope, nope. Not Jimbo. He's as pissed now as he was when it happened. Hell, probably more so. And it happened nearly three months ago. Turn the page. Turn the page. Dude gets up every single morning and rereads the page over and over, all day, every damn day. Like, Ursa is throwing off this vibe of, don't any of you come around here and ask me about today or ask me about the 2022 season. I am not here to talk about the present or the future. I am only here to talk about our recent horrific past. I am only here to talk about the 2021 season and our catastrophic choke job and what a cancer Carson Wentz was. All right, so let me open it up to questions right now. Are there any questions? Just know I'm only here to talk about Carson Wentz. It's like every time anyone from the Colts gets anywhere near a hot mic, it's not a press conference, it's a purge. They're trying to get the poison out. Nobody has ever wanted to turn the page less than the Colts. Now, normally I would say to that, yeah, we get it. We heard it the first 100 times. I get it. Enough already. But notice I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that because I haven't had enough of this already. It's never enough when it comes to the Colts piling on Carson Wentz. And you know what? I get it. I get why they are. If you need to beat the worst team in the league in order to get into the postseason— and you end up getting punched in the face, then you yourself get kicked to the curb. It's that simple. Hell no, they're not over this. It was one of the most embarrassing choke jobs ever. Of course they're still killing this guy. And you know what? Hate to say it, I'm here for it. Just let me reload my bucket of popcorn. Get your popcorn ready. Like Ursay went to work. Right after that loss to Jacksonville, he has since said that he met with Ballard and Reich for what the GM later described as a, quote, ass-chewing. Then Ursay, he didn't stop there. Apparently, he met with a number of veteran players and says that what he learned from the players was, quote, very concerning, end of quote. Like, let me just stop for one second. Like, we literally are talking about something still that happened three months ago. But he had these conversations with his veteran players, and then he realized, and I quote, Oh my God, there's something wrong here, and it needs to be corrected. End of quote. Ursa is like, Oh my God, this is not happening. Oh my God, this is not happening. Oh my God, this is not happening. I mean, it's not like saying, Wentz had a couple of ill-advised picks, made a couple of poor decisions, got a little tight on the big stage. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, this guy sucks. He's a locker room cancer. We need to get him the hell out of here. Stat, because there is no fixing that dude. He's the worst. He's toxic. He's football bacteria, and he's spreading his virus throughout the locker room. He already ruined our season, and unless we get him the hell out of here, he's going to wreck the entire organization. How bad was it? How desperate was Ursay to get rid of this guy? He says they would have cut him and eaten 15 mil if that's what it took to get rid of him. I mean, how awesome is that? That's amazing. That is the worst indictment of a player that I've seen in a long, long time. Like, this guy was so terrible— I would not have just been happy to give him away and get nothing in return, but I would have paid you 15 mil to get him out of my face. Like, hard as they try, actually, I'm not even sure they're trying, they simply cannot stop killing this guy. In fact, I would be shocked if they didn't bring it up again today. I'd be shocked and I'd be pissed because I don't want it to end, ever. 
And best of all, I don't think it will. The only thing missing from this right now is for Pinky himself to come running in to bury the, quote, idiot quarterback himself. Here we are. I'm out of my third Pro Bowl. We're talking about our idiot kicker who got liquored up and ran his mouth off. So what has the sports world come to? We're talking about idiot kickers. He has ruined kickers for life. Akers and Vinatieri, these guys are great guys. They've been getting killed all week because our idiot ran his mouth. So when I get home, I'll deal with it. Tony and I talked about it. It's kind of funny, really, when you think about it. If he is still a teammate, we'll deal with it. You know, that remains to be seen. But the sad thing is, Lynn, he's a good kicker. He's a good kicker. But he's an idiot. And now a message from Discoverer about customer service and common sense. When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you do not need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Brandon Bolden is my guest. Brandon, great to have you on. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm great. I am great. It's good to have you on. So you and your family have a deep history with the Raiders that I'm going to get into in a second, but how does it feel right now to be a Raider, and what's it been like to make the transition from the Pats to the Raiders? Um, I can only answer that halfway. I uh, really haven't been in the building to get kind of acclimated to everything and everybody. Uh, when I did go to sign my contract, though, it was great meeting the entire staff. And, you know, I'm really excited about the opportunity. Uh, this is a, this is a different, uh, different scenery for me being in New England for nine years, and uh, I'm excited to see what's next. Brandon Bolden is my guest. So on the surface, it would make sense that you'd be a Raider since you and Josh McDaniels have history. You've worked together in the past, but – it's also bigger than that. Your grandfather, Frank Pitts, played for the Raiders back in the 70s. When the opportunity then came up for you to be a Raider, what kind of emotions did you and your entire family feel? Um, I, I was completely floored when uh, the opportunity came. Um, I wasn't expecting that at all. And then just the fact that my grandfather played there and then I get a chance to not only go play and wear the same uniform that he wore, um, it was great because you know, last season I changed my number from 38 to 25 to honor my grandfather, and then here we are a year later, and now I'm going to be wearing the same colors as he did when he played. That's awesome. Brandon Bolden is joining us. Then you've got Josh McDaniels. This is what he said of you last year. Quote, he is one of my favorite guys that I've had a chance to coach because you talk about unselfish teammates that is always prepared and ready to go. That defines Brandon. End of quote. That's really high praise. So what's it mean to you to reconnect with him in Vegas? And then what do you expect from him as a head coach? Um, it means a lot uh, for me to reconnect with him in Vegas. That, I mean, to me, on a personal level, means he trusts me as a player. He trusts me as a person. And, you know, he's going to give me the opportunity to, um, you know, help this team out in any way possible. And Josh knows that. Josh knows that with – out any practice or any thought or any idea you ask me to go do something for any of the guys and that I'm I'm in the front um so this is going to be great I expect him to be I expect him to be Josh um in New England we spent a lot of time together so we got to know each other and everything else but as him as a head coach I've only heard stories and I mean I saw when he coached Denver last time he was a head coach and you know talked to Tebow and stuff like that but as far as that it's I expect Josh to be Josh, and that's just one of the hardest-working coaches there, the last guy out of the building, and uh, very close to being a perfectionist. So I'm expecting, I'm expecting Josh to be Josh and do a lot of Josh things. I like that. Personally, I actually love the hire. I thought it was a great, great hire by them. Let me ask you this. Like, I hear what you say when you say I haven't spent a lot of time in the facility yet and I'm going to find out what it's going to be like. What do you think? If you had to guess or project, do you think it's going to be kind of an extension of the Patriot way or do you think that he'll come in and there will now be a Raider way and it will be different? Uh, I think it'll be a Raider way and it'll be different. I mean, like, of course, it's coming from the same tree as everyone knows. But like I said, I expect Josh to be Josh and how Josh wants to run things. So I don't expect a Patriot way, a cookie cutter Patriot way. I expect Josh to go in and figure out his own way and make this team its own identity. 
Brandon Bolden is joining us. All right, so you're part of a series of moves. I mentioned off the top when you first came on, Brandon, that the AFC West is wild now. I mean, it, it is wild. It is loaded. And the Raiders have been really active. When you look at the moves they've made, they also made a deal for Devontae Adams, of course. They signed Chandler Jones. You've been a part of some really special teams in the past. When you look at the talent on this roster, top to bottom, what kind of thoughts do you have? Um. I don't have any thoughts right now. It's like I said, I'm not in the building, haven't been around to be to be with the guys and digest the playbook and see how we all mesh together. I mean, on paper, it looks exciting, but we haven't done much of anything yet. We haven't had a practice together. We haven't played a game together, so it's hard for me to say, you know. All right, I get that. So I mentioned off the top, too, that you were undrafted back in 2012 out of Ole Miss. You're starting your second decade in the NFL, and you're coming off your best year of your entire career. How would you explain that level of durability and longevity? Um, playing smart. Um, learning from the vets before me, how they took care of their bodies, how the Indian hearing the stories of how they wish they could have done things when they were younger. And that's kind of the things that I adapted into my routine and here we are, like you said, going on the, sec- the second decade. Um, it's been exciting, but I will credit to all my teammates, especially the younger guys like last year with Damon Harris and Ramondre and J.J. Taylor. Those young guys kept me going and pushed me to want to be better, and that, that was the result of last season. Hey, Brandon, speaking of the young guys, there's a story from last year that you were rocking a T-shirt to the facility that referenced In Living Color and a number of these young guys had no idea what that was about. Like, what was that moment like for you? That was uh, – last year was very funny. You know, in 2020, I opted out. So, this was my first year, you know, back with the team. And I just wore a couple of shirts, and I, it was a home the clown shirt. And i never forget, J.J. had asked me, he's like, bro, you just like clowns or something like that? And I was like, no, you didn't. And then I turned to Damien and was like, "What? Is, you know who this is? And Damien had no clue. Ramondre had no clue. So then I started just going to the kickers, and I went to the tight end. And most of them had no idea what was going on. And uh, that's when that's when I felt – that's when the first time I felt like, gosh, I'm old. And then guys like Damien – Damien called me Pappy because I'm so old. And a few guys called me OG, and I've been called um. And that's what I called all the older players when I first came into the league. And now I'm taking their title as the old guy. So – it was a kind of an eye-opener that I'm not as young as I feel. Dude, that is such a great story. That is so funny that, like, you're going around the locker room and nobody knows that show. And dude <laughs> says, do you just like clowns? That, that is incredible yeah. to me. Do you just like clowns? No, dude. No, Unk doesn't just like clowns. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> We're talking to Brandon Bolden. So th- th- this is not, I'm laughing, and what I'm about to ask you about is anything but funny, but your journey has been amazing in the sense that it included a battle with skin cancer a couple of years back. Back in December, you announced that you were diagnosed with a form of skin cancer after the Super Bowl loss to the Eagles. What do you remember about receiving the news that you had cancer? Because that certainly is not something anybody is prepared for. Yeah. Um, it was after the Super Bowl, so it was kind of just enjoying the offseason with my family. Um, had a couple of biopsies and, you know, not even thinking about what was going on. I think we just finished cooking breakfast and the kids were eating. And I got the call. And I remember sitting outside and – I didn't want to tell my wife. She was right there. Like, she followed me outside while I was on the phone. I remember getting off the phone, turning around. She was just right there and, you know, explaining to her what was going on and how I was going to handle it. And, you know, that's never, that's never anything easy to tell someone. And I can only imagine that's not easy to hear from someone. So that was a kind of, a, you know, heart-wrenching moment. And but I, I sat down and discussed it with my entire family. I told them that I wanted to fight this, you know, as quietly as possible. I didn't want everybody knowing. And uh, everybody respected my wishes. And, you know, I wanted to prove to myself that I could beat this. And and I didn't want to tell anyone until I was at a point where I felt like it was never coming back. And so here we go. Here we are going on four years now, uh, still cancer free. And so extremely blessed. Um, and extremely fortunate to have be a part of the Patriots organization because they were aware of it and, you know, they kept quiet uh, as I wished as well. My teammates who stuck by me 
and supported me through the whole thing. And my family was just the biggest rock you could ever have. Um, they never let me feel bad about myself. And even after the surgery and everything else, they kind of just kept me very upbeat. And my kids were, my kids just treated me as if I was dad. You know, I'm two days out of surgery and they're asking me to pick pick them up over my head and stuff like that. So, you know, my kids made me feel as normal as possible. But, you know, my family and my family and all the support and staff in this store is what got me through it and what's still getting me through it today. Brandon, I think that response is amazing. And I'll tell you why. I think there's so many people listening right now that identify with that. I've said this a million times on the show, but since you and I have never spoken, I want to repeat this. Literally everybody listening right now is either dealing with something like this or they have dealt with something like this, or they know somebody who has dealt with something like this. And I can fully appreciate what you just shared because years and years and years ago, my father was diagnosed with leukemia. And then he sat down, my sister and I, and my mom and said, we're not telling anybody. We're not going to tell yeah. anybody anything about this. We will deal with this privately. So I fully understand exactly what you're saying. And just because you handled it that way and my family handled it that way doesn't mean that everybody will. It's just all different. But I want to ask you this. You said the experience was a complete reset. Quote, I was able to redo it and reprocess how I was doing everything in my life. End of quote. I mean, the diagnosis can be so crushing and so devastating. How were you able to reframe that and then somehow turn that into a source of change the way you did? Um, the initial diagnosis, I mean, when it came and I felt as if I was one of the more healthy, healthy people that I knew. And with the diagnosis coming and everything else, and, you know, the Internet can be your best friend or your worst enemy. So I started doing my own research of what I can eat, what type of things I can put in my body. And as as after surgery and as I started to go down that journey, I felt as if I needed to also change how I lived, how I went about playing football and, you know, just trying to be a safer player in that aspect as well. And it's worked out for me. Like going back and taking care of my body and everything else, I don't feel my age at all. It's been a hard mental reset as a physical reset for me. And I, I'm excited for what's next because I don't know what's coming next. Um, it's, it's just been a phenom phenomenal journey so far. And uh, can't wait to ride this out and see how it goes. Such an amazing mindset. What a great approach. So I mentioned off the very top, you are an ambassador for the American Association for Cancer Research 5K Run Walk. It's in New Orleans. It's on April 9th. Can you lay it out for me? What's it all about? And where do people go if they want more informa information? Um, people can go to, people can go support by logging on to aacr.org and, uh, you know, log in, sign up, uh, everyone in New Orleans, please come out and support. This is a great cause. This is American Cancer Research and we're going to go out and we're gonna, I'm going to discuss my journey, how me going and actually getting, getting it detected and getting it handled and how I'm still able to be cancer free now. And it's really about all about early detection. Um, people not being afraid to get out and say, like, yes, I have cancer, or even being afraid to go see if they have cancer. Because like we both said, a private fight is a private fight, and that's your family's business. But the more you know and the more access that people can get to get this information, the better chances we can all be able to at least have this conversation about how we want to handle cancer and everything else. So I encourage everybody, especially in the New Orleans area who's listening, please come out and support. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Of course, it's going to be great food. I'm going to be home. Um, so family and everybody is going to be there. So it's going to be a great time, man. We're going to get a lot of stuff done and hopefully – Change, change and save a lot of lives as good, well. Good for you. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing that you have beaten this back, and it's amazing that you have now assumed this responsibility of being a role model for others in their fight against cancer. Once again, that is coming up on April 9th. He is an ambassador for the American Association for Cancer Research 5K. It's on that day. He's a running back for the Raiders, and we will be talking AFC West football, of course, all year long. Brandon, great to have you on the show. Really appreciate your thoughts. Let's make sure that we do it again soon. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Parents, it is time. Time to finally cross off one of the most important things on your to-do list, life insurance. Fabric makes getting a great term life insurance policy for your family quick, easy, and surprisingly affordable. 
You see, Fabric was built specifically for parents to help you manage your family's financial future like a parenting pro, stress-free. Fabric's new lower prices mean significant savings over other providers with great policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. And everything is on your schedule with Fabric because it's all online. Less than 10 minutes to apply and you can be offered coverage instantly with no health exam required. Then, just personalize your quote to fit your family's needs and you'll be set with high-quality, affordable protection for your family. There is no risk to apply today. Fabric has a 30-day money-back guarantee and you can cancel at any time. Protect your family with term life insurance right now in just 10 minutes. Apply today at meetfabric.com slash Again, that's meetfabric.com dot com slash r-o-m-e to start protecting your family right now m-e-e-t fabric.com slash rome fabric insurance agency policies issued by vantas life not available in new york and montana prices subject to underwriting and health questions now if i asked you which player in the laker organization do you think deserves the most heat from the team's social media squad after they post a graphic Of the team losing, who would that be? All right, so just keep that in mind for a minute. If they lose, and they do, they have to post a graphic. And if they have to post a graphic, who are they going to depict in that graphic? Who? I mean, LeBron? Sure. He's had a season like nobody else has ever had at that age. I mean, what this guy's doing at that age really is incredible. However, he is the main culprit in building this ass of a product and fully responsible for wrecking the Space Jam franchise. But that's a different social media feed. So let me just keep it to the Lakers. So if they have to post a graphic and they have to post a picture of somebody in that graphic, is Braun the guy who's taking more heat than anybody else? Nope. All right. If not Braun, then how about Anthony Street Clothes Davis? Nope. Thanks, Alvy. Way to get that in today. I mean, it would make sense, right? Because dude, <laughs> dude pretty much has been in streets for most of the season, right? But then again, if he has been, you can't really hold him accountable. You can't really hold AD accountable even if he is never, ever available. All right, so it's not him. It's not Braun. It's not him. Who would the Lakers' social media account be coming for? After the the majority of losses, got to be Russell Westbrook, right? Westbrook. Like, that's the easiest question ever to answer. Has any Laker ever underachieved more or been a bigger disappointment than Westbrook this season? It's got to be him, right? Right? (laughs) Nope. Incredibly enough, it's not any of the big slash little three. Now, I'll tell you the guy they're coming for. You know who shows up in that lost graphic more than anybody else this season? Malik Monk. That's right. Monk. The dude on a minimum deal. He's the one who's been featured the most on the post-game lost graphic for the Lake Show. Monk. A content creator by the name of Kenny Beecham who's got a pretty nice following himself, did a little bit of research, and he found out, or he got tipped off, by an account titled Depressed Laker Fan. And by the way, is there a more accurate depiction or description of the state of Laker fan right now than Depressed Laker Fan? Anyway, Depressed Lakers Fan tweeted after the Pelicans lost on Sunday, quote, told you, they're not putting LeBron's pick in a L final score tweet. I wonder if he has that in his contract. L-M-A-O-O-O-O-O. End of quote. So Beecham, the content creator, got to thinking. Then he got to doing some actual research. He found out that not only was LeBron's pick not on a lost graphic, not even once, but neither were street clothes or Russ's. The three of them have not been in one of those graphics once. Monk, on the other hand, 
has been featured in 10 shops out of the 43 losses up to that point. 10 times. He's been in it 10 times, and the little three combined, zero. Meanwhile, in the team's wins, that trio, that same trio, the little three, they've been featured 19 total times, 18 times between Braun and Russ. And poor Malik, only three times. I mean, oh my gosh, Laker fan. Not only can these dudes not be coached hard, the organization won't even post a little widow graphic or a widow picture next to a lost graphic. I mean, how pathetic is that? And how unfair to poor Malik. Dude's got to be thinking, oh, great, here we go again. Another L and all fingers are pointed at me. Worse yet, another finger pointed at me by my own organization. Like somehow it's my fault that we suck. Like somehow it's my fault that we're the biggest disappointment in the NBA. And the funny thing is, there's not a better bargain for the team's buck this season than Monk. I mean, sure, his defense is kind of shoddy. But he's a Laker. All of their defense is shoddy. But on offense, my man gets buckets. Monk is averaging a career high. He's shooting damn near 40% from distance. He was the one free agent that actually has exceeded expectations. And how good is this? It gets even funnier. After the Pelicans loss, they put up Wenyan Gabriel's mugger. How many of you even know who the hell that is? And they did so in a game where Russ was minus 18. And they think, nope, nope, oh, no, no, Russ ain't having that. Let's hang this one on old Gabe, whoever the hell that is. But in the Lakers' defense, if Russ can't handle the gloss West Brick, West Brick, or a tough question from the media without tripping, you know he'd give his own social media department his thumbs as well. <laughs> Here's the best part. When the Lakers found out that they were found out, and they got exposed. Guess who did show up on the L graphic against the Mavs? Russ. Finally. Way to show them, Lakers. Finally. Man, you ask me, they got this all backwards. They've got this all backwards. Yes, their product on the floor is ass. But their content is pure gold. Yes, they are the league's biggest disappointment. No, they're not even going to make the playoffs in a year where they were supposed to win the whole damn thing. But... Just because they're that crappy does not mean that there's not amazing content available to them. You know, like Russ hitting the top of the backboard. Who wouldn't want to see that? Who would not want to see that graphically or in video? Yet I'm pretty sure the greatest play in the history of sports happened right under your nose. But I didn't see that getting any run on your social media accounts. You know the play. When point DeAndre let it fly. Rebound grabbed by DeAndre Jordan. Jordan's going to bring it out of the backcourt and throws it <laughs> 10 feet over the head of Wayne Ellington. Where was he throwing that? Up in this concession? He threw it to Rich Paul. That, that ball looked like a pass, like a beach ball in, the, in a hurricane. And you're right, it almost hit LeBron's agent, Rich Paul, in the head. Like, if they had posted that video alone with Richard Jefferson's commentary underneath it, I'll bet you they'd be talking about nearly 1 billion views right now. Come on, Lakers. Now I'm doing your job for you too? Make that happen. Make that video available. Alvin, share it with them. Rebound grabbed by DeAndre Jordan. Jordan's going to bring it out of the backcourt and throws it <laughs> 10 feet over the head of Wayne Ellington. Where was he throwing that? Up in this concession? <laughs> he threw it to Rich Paul. That ball looked like a pass, like a beach ball in, the, in a hurricane. And you're right, it almost hit LeBron's agent, Rich Paul, in the head. So easy. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of 
Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? What is your beef? See here, dear Jim, my beef is with Eric Church canceling his concert so he can go watch the Final Four. Signed, Butthurt Rednecks, who blew their next three Silverado lease payments on non-refundable airfare to the show. Signed, Brett and Bugaha, having a record year. It's good, Brett. I like that one. That works. Hey, Rome, my beef is with the lame tools. At sporting events, who are shown on the Kiss Cam Jumbotron with their wives while also holding a beer. They look at their wife, then the beer, and they go back and forth while trying to get the crowd to laugh at their lame joke about who to pick and then ultimately selecting the beer. These are usually the same tools who will then complain nonstop to their friends how they never get any action from their wife. Gee, I wonder why, loser. Zach in Vancouver. Hey, Jim, I've got a beef with TNT. Why do they always advertise an NBA game on Tuesday? Instead, they put on some slop called the Lakers. This is not basketball and an embarrassment to both the NBA and TNT. I would rather TNT put on Space Jam instead of this garbage. Thanks, Mark and Scottsdale. No, you wouldn't. Dude, you obviously have not seen that movie or you wouldn't be saying that. That's not true. The Lakers suck. Space Jam 2 is a million times worse. Mr. Rome, my beef is with St. Louis dubbing. By the way, don't talk about that movie until you've seen it. Don't talk about a movie you haven't seen. Because if you've seen that movie, there's no way that'd be your take. Mr. Rome, my beef is with St. Louis dubbing their boring city as the gateway to the West. Wow. What a hill to plant your flag on, weirdos. We're the chicken man. Garrett in Utah. Hey, Jim. My beef is with the expression, I'll be honest with you. What? Were you not being honest before? Cut the word vomit and tell it how it is. Jay-Z in Minneapolis. Snags. My beef's with Die Hard and the medics... Wheeling the 300-pound dead German out of Nakatomi. Maybe mix in a pulse check after cutting him down from the chains and, I don't know, take away his machine gun before you cover him up. Damien in Greensboro. Damien, dude was dead. There's no doubt that guy was dead. Come on, man. McLean finished him. My beef is I don't get to hear the greatest song in the history of the world put on the writ more often. Diabetes. Diabetes. Signed Patrick in Alabama. Hey, Pat, calling it the greatest song in the history of the world might be a bit of a stretch. Pretty good tune. Hey, Jim, my beef is with the gale force, arctic, whining, blowing in from the north. Hey, Raptors fan, stop bitching about every call. Yes, the game of basketball is relatively new to you, but just because the Zebras blow the whistle on your team doesn't mean they're wrong. Raptors fan, sit back down, crack a Molson, and jam it in that incessant complaint hole that you call a mouth. Sign Paco in San Rafael. Romy. My beef is with my father-in-law for not teaching my wife how to cook. While he's at home eating legendary Italian meals made from scratch, I'm here eating a frozen burrito from the gas station. 
I want some chicken parm too. Come on. Joel and Safety Harbor. Here's your leader so far. Rome. Yeah, man. I got a beef. That somehow it became socially acceptable for every woman in America to wear yoga pants in public. I'm sure they're easy and probably quite comfortable, ladies, but they also highlight every lump, every lump or crevice going on down there. I'm no prude, but cover up your lumpy butts. Dino in Vegas, damn D. Wow. Jimmers, I got beef with the dopes who think that the Rock Smith altercation was staged. That ass just cost himself millions in future revenue and roles in movies for which he was considered for. One slap made him toxic, plus he's a complete scumbag. Abby in San Diego. Like I always say, you don't want to get on the wrong side of Abigail. Hey, Jim, my beef is with holier-than-thou vegetarians. These know-nothings think they're smarter than several hundred thousand years of evolution. We are omnivores, people. We have incisors for a reason, to eat meat. I don't care if you want to starve yourselves of essential nutrition, namely the fat-soluble A and D vitamins. Just shut up about it. Mac in Oakland. All right, things are getting hot up in here. What's up, P and the B? My beef is with the 12th man on every basketball bench that feels the need to play security guard after a big play, arms outstretched, holding back his fellow teammates from apparently storming the court, and a bonus beef with all basketball coaches and players that remind their teammates to box out on a free throw. I mean, isn't that a given since, like, second grade? That's like a quarterback reminding his offensive lineman every play to block the guy in front of him. Brad. In G-Rap. I like it. <laughs> I like that arms out guy. <laughs> this is fun today. This says, my beef is with the lady doing her makeup in her car. Please pay attention to the road. I almost got into an accident as she almost ran off the road. My life should not be in jeopardy just because you don't have natural beauty. John and Buffalo. A lot of guys hey, taking John. runs at the ladies today for the wrong reasons, I think. But I did say beef about anything you want. Jim, my beef is with people who vape that used to smoke. Congratulations for trading one nasty habit for another. And by the way, you look just as stupid as you did before. BZ in Pensacola. Rome, my beef is with the idiots that think those jet hand dryers in the men's room are urinals. Mike and Snowbird. What? Has anybody tried to urinate into one of those things? What are you talking about, bro? My beef is with <laughs> grizzled, hard-nosed veteran. <laughs> My beef is with grizzled, hard-nosed veteran detectives on real crime shows who, when describing what the victim was wearing when she was found... Describe her underwear as panties. Hey, Clouseau, just you uttering that word gives me a major case of the willies. Please keep your sick, kinky, degenerate, unnatural sexual fantasies to yourself and just solve the stinking crime already. It's my man Dennis in San Luis Obispo. Hey, Jim, I have serious beef with two-glove golf guy, especially the dudes that keep both gloves on while putting. Come on, dude. It's a feel sport. Help yourself out and ditch a glove or maybe see an MD about those sweaty mitts. Chris in Alberta. Hey, Rome. My beef is with a sports parent who gets upset with me because their 12-year-old kid isn't getting better at their sport. 
This is the parent who is texting me weekly their frustrations about why little Timothy isn't the next Roger Federer. Hey, stupid. Maybe the reason he isn't getting any better is because he plays once a week for one hour, doesn't want to be there, and puts in a terrible hour of work because he'd rather be on his phone for most of the time. Before you roll up in here and blame me for your kid not getting better, maybe you take a look at your kid first. Just a thought. Jeff from PDX. I like that. That's good, too. Rome. My beef is with that knob that condescendingly scans my receipt every time I try to escape Costco. Bro, you already had me for over 300 bucks on like six items. And your fellow co-bag, check me out. What do you think I'm trying to do? Smuggle out a trash can-sized box of Funyuns in my pants? Get the hell out of my way and let me lug these crates of food to my car. Tim and CLT. Jim. Actually, Snags. My beef is with these horrible NCAA commercials that feature a certain credit card company trying to convince us that Jim Nance casually hangs out with Samuel L. Jackson, Spike Lee, and Charles Barkley. The one with the young Jim Nance is the worst of them all. There is no way those kids would hang out with that little bitch 45 years ago. It's awful. Quit rolling out those commercials or I'm switching to Chase. I feel like Nance should give me his tie after the tournament for sitting through all those stupid commercials. Let's do in the 405. Come on, dude, you get off Jim Nance. You leave my dude alone. Turtleneck pimp. My beef is with the clown comparing about what he has to eat because his father-in-law, there you go, here comes a beef about a beef, complaining about what he has to eat because his father-in-law didn't teach his wife how to cook. Hey, ass clown, you should have beef with your parents for not teaching you how to cook. Stop blaming your wife for your poor eating habits. Hey, a way, Mario. Good take. Good take. Jim, my beef is with Garrett in Utah. There's another one, a beef about beef. My beef is with Garrett in Utah. St. Louis was called the gateway to the West because most of the major expeditions to the western part of the U.S. originated here. However, I would not expect you to know any history, moron. Corey in the STL. Bella B is in. Hey, Paco, keep our name out your effing mouth. Sign Raptors fan. Wow. And now a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you do not need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. All right, let's go to the phones. We go to PA, Phil in PA. What's going on, Phil? What is your beef? Hey, Jim. Thanks for the vine. Yep. Ah, Alfie. No. Alfie, what? Like that I don't like that call. Not a very good call. We don't have a lot of time. If I go to you, be ready. Be ready. Let's do this. We go to Jonathan in Memphis. Jonathan, what's your beef? Uh, I hate Jim. Yes, my beef is with those moving escalators at the airport. My beef is with how crappy you all are on the phones. Not a very good call. Oh for two. Let's try Green Bay. (laughs) Barry in Green Bay. Barry, you're on. What is your beef? Uh, Beef is with my wife. Uh, She's been packing my lunches for 15 years now. The lovely PB&J sandwiches. and what do I end up with, like Flavorite flavored peanut butter or peanut butter? She's got a 69 bowling average, and she buys a $500 oily ball lane. It's just a mess. Jim. No, bro, you're a mess. You don't like that What's peanut butter and jelly have to do with her bowling average and how much the bowling ball costs? Wait, what? That... I mean, at least you got through without getting run in the beginning. This is the worst beef phone segment ever. Quickly, Brian in Phoenix. Brian, you're on the air. What is your beef? Well, my beef is with journals that use the word penultimate. 
Jim, nobody uses that word in conversation. It's journalists using a word the size of Peyton Manning's dome just to make something sound important. Second to last isn't important, and you know it isn't, because tickets to Coach K's penultimate game didn't go for five girl. Nobody's paying top dollar for a game-worn jersey for Braden's penultimate retirement. Dude, way to work that into a series of sentences. Nicely done. The tweets were fire. The calls were ass. See you next Wednesday with it. Levi Wallace is my guest. Levi, it's so good to have you on. How are you? Um, I'm doing really good, Jim. I appreciate you for having me on, man. Really good to have you on. It's great to talk to you. So let me ask you first, you were coming off another really good year in Buffalo. So what was it like for you heading into free agency, and how curious were you to find out what other teams thought about you and your game? Yeah, I mean, free agency is always, always unique. And, um, you know, this is my second time going through it. Last year I was a free agent as well, and I decided to stay with Buffalo for one more year. And so, man, it was it's it's really crazy. I mean, just wanted to try to get back to Buffalo, but, you know, the Steelers weren't even on my radar, honestly, and uh, they just kind of came out of nowhere, and I ended up going with them. All right, so they weren't even on your radar. Now, there is something. Am I correct in knowing or thinking that Pittsburgh was your mom's favorite team growing up? Did that play any factor in this decision, and what else made it feel like this was the right place for you? Yeah, I uh, honestly, that didn't play any factor. Uh, other than my mom's excitement after I told her I was thinking about signing with Pittsburgh. Um, but honestly, I think just uh, playing against them for the last couple of years, seeing their team dynamic and how they play on defense, I uh, really admired that. And so just trying to figure out what what's a good place for me to be. And honestly, I just prayed about it. And um, I was like, because obviously I want to go back to Buffalo. And Pittsburgh came with the opportunity. And I, I called my agent and said, you know what, let me uh, – let me call you back. Let me pray about it. And I asked Lord to give me a sign. And then I looked down, and I was wearing black and gold shorts. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to Pittsburgh. Levi Wallace joining us on the program. There you go. So I've always said that when you play for the Steelers, and especially when you play defense for the Pittsburgh Steelers, you're stepping into a really rich tradition and a strong identity. Knowing that history, what's it mean for you to be a part of that and to play defense with that team in particular? Yeah, like I said, I mean, just going against them for the last couple of years, the thing that's always stood out to me was their defense. And, you know, my mom, like you said, she grew up as a Steelers fan and always talked about the Steel Curtain and just how dominant they were back in the day. And then just over the years, just looking at their defense, you know, being led by Troy Polamalu and those guys, it's definitely just a smash-mouth football team. And I was like, man, it, it'd be so cool to be a part of that defense. And the opportunity came, so I took advantage of it. Levi Wallace is joining us. All right, so for the Steeler fans that may or may not know or intimately know the depth of your game, what do you want them to know about you and your game? What are they getting with their new cornerback? Oh, man. For me, I think uh, intelligence plays a big role. I mean, this, that's all over the tape. You see me just jumping routes and just knowing plays are coming. I think just the film study um, is on another level. I think uh, just my competitiveness, um, just on and off the field. I mean, I I bring that into playing like Uno or chess or something. You know, I, I'm super competitive. And so uh, football is just one of those games. I think a lot of people think I'm just really like soft-spoken, which I am off the field. But when I get on that field, I'm just – it's like a switch just kind of flips on and I I, I kind of change. And so for me, it's, it's all about having fun and – I mean, I, I feel like I'm a dog out there each and every play, each and every practice. I mean, I go out there to compete and be the best version of myself. So, I mean, I, I like making plays, and that's why, I, that's why I chose defense back in 2014, walking out of Alabama. Dude, that's a great response. I want to ask you about walking on Alabama in a minute. I was going to, but I love that response because the fact is, I mean, you are soft-spoken. You're a very humble guy. You've got tremendous gratitude. However, you said something to The Athletic that was very similar to what you just told us. Quote, honestly, I think I'm the best off-corner in the league. That's my own confidence. Everyone thinks they're the best at something, so it's probably not a shock that I said that. End of quote. I really like that. Explain for fans, what does it take to be an elite off-corner? Uh, you know, and actually, you just kind of caught me. I was just practicing I'm out, uh, here at the field right now, practicing my off, even just trying to make it better. Um, but this is something that, you know, Buffalo has a unique defense or it's a lot of zone and off uh, coverages. And so 
I honestly never really played off until I got to Buffalo. Um, it was a lot of press back at Alabama, a lot of man coverage. And so it was something I had to develop, and, and it took a lot of time to get there. And being under Tredavious and, and his tutelage really helped me get into to where I needed to go. And it's just watching him, film study, being patient, and trusting your speed, trusting yourself. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard, you know, trusting yourself, especially when you got guys flying at you. And it seems like every year those guys get faster. And so it's just being all about being patient and just trusting yourself and, and what you can do and then route recognition. Um, yeah, I think that just kind of makes me go how I go. Levi Wallace joining us. All right, so one of the things I always love talking about, and you just kind of mentioned this too, guys are just they're getting tougher, bigger, faster. It's getting more challenging. I love to talk to elite cornerbacks about some of their favorite matchups that bring out the very best in them. Who are the receivers you face that when you're going up against them, you know that you're going to get their best shot and it's going to make you elevate your game? Man, I think that's a complicated question, honestly. There's, there's so many good receivers out there. I think off the top of my head, I mean, I think the Steelers have great receivers with Claypool, um, even Deontay Johnson, um, just how good he is, just a good a route runner he is. Um, and then kind of going down the line, Devontae Parker, me and him have had some really good battles. Cause he's just a bigger physical receiver um, out of Miami. And then, you know, Tyreek Hill is just probably the best receiver I've ever faced. Just the speed and acceleration that he brings to the table, that he brings to the game is it's second to none. And so I love just going against all guys. You know, I haven't been against D-Hop or Devontae Adams yet. Um, but there, there's so many good receivers out there. There really is. And I look forward to going against them all. I mean, even Cooper Cup. I went against him a couple of years ago, and he's just a great athletic route runner too. And then you saw the year that he had this year. Um, just every year, receivers, they're changing. Even the ones in the league, they're getting better. And so it just kind of elevates my game to do the same. Such good stuff. Levi Wallace joining us. All right, so you mentioned that you walked on at Alabama. For those who do not know, it's a great story. Mike Tomlin loves the story. He said he loves the story in your background. And it really is legendary. It's one that can inspire so many people. For those who are not familiar, you did walk on at Alabama and then went on to become a two-time national champion. You played your high school ball in Tucson, Arizona. What led you to Alabama? Why was that the school for you? Uh, honestly, I just went to school. I was just going to school and, um, I was able to go there. My dad was in the military for 21 years. So was my mom. She's in the military as well. And so I was able to go there for, on their GI bill, um, on a scholarship. And I just was finished playing football. I just kind of wanted to go to school and graduate, get my degree. And, uh, eventually I just decided to walk on. Honestly, I, was missing the game, missing camaraderie, my teammates. And I was like, you know what, let me just walk on. And my dad told me once the ball is over, it's over. So you might as well give it your all. And so that's exactly what I did. And a couple of years later, I got put on scholarship. And, yeah, the rest is history, man. Now, dude, this is incredible. Like, you went there just to go to college. You were going to be a college kid. Now, you didn't get a lot of recruiting love coming out of high school. As part of that story, did you also play intramural flag football during your first semester? Is that true? And how did that go, if so? Yeah, I did. I um, honestly was just messing around. You know, a bunch of friends we were kind of bored, and they're like, "Levi, you should come play football with us." I was like, okay, cool, whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't care. And I, uh, I enjoyed it, man. I freaking felt like I was Lamar Jackson before Lamar Jackson. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I'm just running around against a bunch of regular college students, just frat guys who made up teams and stuff like that. And I was, I was balling. I was a quarterback. I was letting it fly. And I was running circles around people. And honestly, we lost in the championship game. Uh, I don't know. They must have watched film on me or something. I was just getting blitzed all day. It's <laughs> so good. <laughs> and it was cold. I never played in the cold before. Coming from Arizona, it was cold that day. It was, I mean, listen, they just, they had us. They had us dead to rights. So, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, and I think a lot of that story just, kind of made me miss football again. It was one of the decisions why I walked on. What an awesome story. Levi Wallace is joining us. You mentioned your dad. You went back home for the holidays, and your father, Walter, was struggling with ALS. And when you were at home, you said that you just wanted to stay there and take care of him. But he and your mom were not having any of that. Not only that, but your dad said, you've got to go back and try out for the football team. What do you remember about that conversation? Uh, yeah, so actually he had uh, – he had come to Alabama 
um, I think it was around Thanksgiving. It was during that like Alabama and Auburn game, that kick six game. Yep. And I was so upset about it, like you know, because you as a college student, you know, you got you betting against Auburn fans and Auburn students, and obviously we lost. I'm like, man, I feel like I could go out there and make some plays. And my dad was like, well, shoot, go ahead, try your luck, you know, do it. And so I uh, I just decided to go, and it wasn't until I want to say spring break was the last time I saw him. Um, yeah, he had just got progressively worse. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to go back to school. And he was like, listen, you don't got no home here. <laughs> you got no choice but to go back. And so, I mean, that was his biggest thing was for me to graduate and not be in Tucson stuck um, caring for him. And, yeah, my mom just kind of pushed the issue as well. She was like, I, I got things at home. So, yeah, I went back. And that was the last time I saw him. Then he ended up passing away uh, after I walked on the day before the spring game of uh, my freshman year. Levi Pops, man, he sounds amazing. He sounds like an amazing dude. Like, what was he like as a person? And even to this moment as you and I speak, how much does he continue to inspire you? Man, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people say, like, they see a lot of similarities in, in me and him. And honestly, it's been what now 2014 eight years now since he hasn't been here and uh yeah it's tough it's tough to even really kind of remember uh what his voice sounds like unless i go back and watch some videos but just he was more of a a man of action and just the way he got up every single morning four o'clock uh and just busted his butt every single morning never complained uh it it, you know actions go a lot a, a further way than just talk and so just seeing how hard he worked for himself and his family like i said he spent 21 years in the military um as an aircraft mechanic i mean i've never known him to complain not one day and he just loved being there for his family and his and his boys too and he supported us in everything that we ever did and so i think that kind of takes takes a lot for me um and just a reminder and so many people just stood up at his funeral and said he's one of the best friends one of the best people i've ever known so that's kind of what i push myself and strive for levi wallace my guest i i bet i'm willing to bet any amount of money he never once said never once said why me right not once yeah never never and it's and you know i I had this persona because you know i'm just an 18 year old kid 17 year old kid um kind of really not knowing what als is and didn't really care to research it because you know in my eyes my dad was superman you know what i mean like i never knew anything will come of it. And I was like, all right, yeah, wait, whatever, like you'll beat it. And, uh, that's just kind of the perception I've always had of him. And so I kind of, that's just the perception I keep, you know, he's just always a worker and never complains. No, I bet he gave it hell. And AOS is absolutely, it's brutal. It's just brutal. My man, I got to acknowledge one thing. You've got like these birds in the background. It's amazing. I've done maybe thousands and thousands of interviews. I don't know that I've ever heard the beautiful sound of birds chirping, man. It's nice. I don't know if you set that up on purpose or what or where you are right now, but that sounds awesome. No, I'm not. I, like I said, I'm at the field, and I was just practicing. Uh, I'm just doing DB drills and stuff. And a bunch of birds just happened. I mean, I feel like I haven't heard them all day, and as soon as I get on this phone call, they start. It's a sign, start- dude. It's a sign, man. It's it's the universe. Listen, really quickly, so I get that you just came off the field. Did I see you posting on Instagram that you're doing some Pilates? And if so, what do you like about those workouts? What do you get out of that? I'm really curious. Man, I don't like those workouts, man. But it, it actually pushes me. It's honestly the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Really? Like It's like 45 minutes of just like pure hell on my body. Because it's just, it's just working muscles that you really don't think about. And uh, it's it's so cool. I've been doing it. It's my second year now with a coach out here. Her name is Julie. Um, and she's just amazing. And just, I mean, honestly, I'd put her core against anybody else in on the planet. It's just, she's just talking and demonstrating. And she tries to have conversations while we're doing it. I'm like, yo, Julie, I can't breathe. Like, stop talking to me, please. Try to ask me questions. And it's just, it's really cool just to try to train your body in different ways. Um, and just train different muscles and it's more of like the muscles you don't see like the inside muscles and they create or uh, they prevent like ankle injuries and and you know i've had a couple of shoulder injuries so we do a lot of just minor stuff but it's a lot of core too and so it's, it's really good 
That's really good, and this conversation is better than really good. He's a cornerback for the Steelers now, already a two-time national champion. He signed with the team earlier this month, played his college ball at Alabama. Levi, much respect and much appreciation for you. That really was an awesome conversation. Thanks for making time for us, and I really enjoyed that, man. Thanks so much. No, appreciate you, Jim. Thanks for having me, and I look forward to coming back at any time, man. J.D. in Philly. J.D., brother, what's going on? Jimmy, thanks for the vine. You got hey, it. Hey, Indy, what did you guys expect when you when you traded for Carson Wentz? By, by 2019, it was clear to our locker room that the guy was locker room COVID-19, and we couldn't wait to, to clear him out and just wait till they get triggered again when we say thank you, when we exercise your number 17 first-round pick three, three weeks from now. you know, And it's appropriate that dysfunction loves dysfunction, so Wentz and Washington is, is a perfect marriage. War, love for Villanova. Everybody's sleeping on us. You know, I don't know why the odds are so long about uh, when you have the might of Jay Wright and the Philly, New York attitude of street ball. You know, no blood, no foul. We're tough. Yeah, Kansas is fast. But don't sleep on the Wildcats. I'm out. Never. Good job, J.D. Never, ever sleep on the Cats. Of course, they did lose one of the most important players, but never sleep on Villanova. Good night now!